there, there are some things in life that you start to do and they turn out harder, more difficult than you had imagined. You ever had that happen to you? One time I was standing on the end of a dock. I was about a, maybe, I don't know why I was on a dock. I don't hang out on docks a lot, just to let you know, but I was on a dock. I think I'd been another one of my very unsatisfactory, unfulfilled fishing trips where we <laughs> caught nothing for 18 hours. I'm really angry at fishing people. You know, they, they, they keep showing me pictures to rub it in, I think, because they know I never catch anything. Like, check this out. Gerhard came to me just a, few, a couple weeks ago. Like, the thing was bigger than my son, my eight-year-old son. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and rub it in. I hate you, but anyway. I'm going to come in with an, a picture of me, and I just killed an elephant. I'm going to say, take that, all right? Whatever. So I'm standing on the, this end of this dock, and the people I was with, they were doing something, and this boat was trying to park. Now, I don't know boats, so I don't know what it, but it seemed like a pretty big boat. You know, people say, what kind of boat? Pretty big. That's all I got. You know, I, I can't say, well, it's a twin-engine X40. You know, I don't know what that means. So the guy said, hey, can you give me a hand? I'm going to throw you the rope. And I'm like, sure. You know, I'm, a, I'm an idiot on a dock. I'm like, sure, throw me the rope. So threw me the rope, and, you know, I kicked my smartness in the gear, and I wrapped the rope around my index finger because I'm thinking, that way I won't drop the rope. Does anyone in this room find that logical? Thank you. All right. Well, I had no idea the power of a boat drifting away in a current from the thing. So... It started, you know, just a little bit like, hmm, you know, that kind of inward thing, hmm, you know, that, that feeling like, hmm. And so it was like, you know, it started to pull, I'm like, hmm. And it was just that opening overture to like, <sighs> but it starts with a hmm. And so it started to pull away, and, you know, and so I'm like, okay, no problem. You know, it's kind of pulling, but I'll pull it back. And it just kept going. And then my fingers started turning real white. And and I'm like on the edge. I think I'm going in. I'm going in. And suddenly he kicked something in that, that brought the boat closer to the, bo- the, you know, the dock. But in that moment, I'm thinking, wow, this was exponentially harder than I thought. Because I thought, hey, throw the rope. Sure, you know, pull the, pull the boat in. Moral of that story, don't ever take a rope on a dock from a boat. So that's it. See you guys next week. That's the teaching for tonight. No, just kidding. There are things in life that you get into it when you actually are playing it out. It's harder than you thought. When we are deeply in love and we're standing at the altar with all the candles and the tuxedo and the wedding dress and all of our friends in tuxedos and and dress beautiful dresses and the beautiful music and all that. It just seems so easy at that point, doesn't it? But we all know that marriage, it, it's deeper and it's harder than it seems in that moment. The deepest, one of the deepest joys that we have in life is, is our children. And man, when you're taking those photos and, and you're on a, a high, you haven't had sleep for 36 hours and you're in the labor room and all that, man, you just think this is it. And it gets harder. And there, there are moments that all parents, I think, would honestly say, wow, hmm. 
And some of us have actually fallen in. <laughs> Any organization, when you first start it, you think, this is going to be incredible. And then you begin to understand that there is this tug of war. There is this tension of the boat drifting. I don't care if, you're, if you started your own business, if you're Starbucks, if you're uh, Disney, or if you're a church. To carry out the vision, the plan, is extremely difficult. If you're the owner of Starbucks or even the manager of Starbucks, and you had a philosophy of, well, we'll just let it flow. Just let it run like it's going to run. That's easy. If you're trying to keep in track, in sync, in rhythm with a vision, a focus, again, whether it's uh, Disney or, or it's Starbucks, it's the church, doesn't matter. If you're trying, that's where the hard work comes in. Same in your personal life. If you're trying to eat right, it's difficult. It just doesn't come naturally to stay on a track. If you're trying to not do something anymore, perhaps there have been habits in your life where you say, I got to get rid of this. This is eating me up. It's destroying me. And you say, from, that, from this day on, I'm going to give my best. It's never just like this. Oh, no big deal. I'm giving up pornography. That's easy. Yeah. No, it's always going to be like, hmm, this was harder than I thought. I'm not sure that there's a person in here, I don't care what your age is, that doesn't understand what I just said. On the outside, I think that things can look like, man, this is, you walk in a Starbucks, it looks like they got it all together. Every, all the colors coordinate, everything goes. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of work to keep it on track. Believe me. Believe me. I just uh, asked John Carrico. We had a, some small circle time together. He's our family pastor. And I always like to ask, what are you reading these days? And uh, he's reading this book, um, uh, Inside the Magic Kingdom, and how they run things in the Magic Kingdom. It's astonishing what goes on behind the scenes. Like in, in that part of the Magic Kingdom where it's more kind of Western and saloon and cowboy, I forget what it's called, but... Uh, Something who what's it called? Frontierland. Frontierland. Thank you. Yeah, there's some there's some hitching posts that get you know rubbed and tapped and you know have contact human contact every day. Every single night they strip these down and repaint them. How about that? So we're gonna paint these walls every Saturday. So it may smell a little no. That's the extent where they say this is the quality. This is the standard. This is the place that we're going to be. It takes effort. For the last few weeks, we wanted to start the year off by saying, here are the hard things that are specific and unique to 360 because we have a lot of folks coming in. And they're subtle things. And we said, it's going to take us to do hard things in order to be unique, and keep on the call that God has given to us. It would be just the easiest thing to do to say, let's just be like anywhere else. Whatever flies, we'll let it fly. And, and we could have a lot of people 
and we could have a, 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 you know, uh, programs and all those things. And the, on the outside, it may look just incredible. In fact, I brought a photo for you. I saw this on Facebook. I don't know if you guys saw this, but this, if you can't read it, it says, success, it's not always what you see. You see the, the little rabbit on the right, if you're just seeing it from the ground level, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bushiness to his carrot. And you would think, wow, that's an amazing carrot. But it's the, it's the little, oh, it looks like an alien rabbit, <laughs> an alien bunny there on the left. Just by looking at it, I say, well, you just, it doesn't seem like you guys much stuff going on here. But deep below, there's something deep. Someone told me this morning, we had a conversation that I'll ride on for the rest of the week. I came here my first Sunday. And from that moment on, I felt cared for. People have asked me how I'm doing. I had people come to my home on Christmas Eve to bring me gifts of love for me, for my family. And I just, I just came. That, my friend, is a big carrot. You get it? It doesn't happen naturally. That's, that's the word I want to say to you today. It just doesn't happen organically. We're intentional about these things. We're intentional about putting people together. We're intentional about saying, let's don't have big leaves and have a lot of stuff at the expense of what lies down in the deep, subtle things that you don't see visibly. And there are stories that I'm telling you that are being born right now that are just amazing. Today, we're going to talk about something very subtle, very challenging, and very, very hard. Um, we're going to uh, begin in our scripture today, in the scriptures today, by looking at something that I find intriguing. I think all of us do. And it's at the beginning line, the starting line, is how Jesus picked the guys in his closest core. You know, the, we call them the 12 disciples. How he went through that process. Because it's, it's a stunning process. It's a stunning uh, decision. And because th these guys were like, I saw someone last night, I used to live in Boston, and this guy who's uh, Mark Wahlberg, you know, that actor, and they were doing an interview with him, and he was from Dorchester, which is a part of Boston that's a very, very tough part of the city. Well, some of these guys, these disciples, they were from like the Dorchester of the region. <laughs> and you have to say that. When I first moved to Boston, a good southern boy, I was looking for this street that was spelled W-O-R. C-E-S-T-E-R. And I was like, I was like can, do you, can you tell me? And I was lost. I was looking for the street, the true story. And I stopped a mail uh, guy, a post guy, a postman, mailman. There it is. <laughs> Come slow to some people. Um, and I said, do you know where um, Worcester is? And he was like, what? I'm like, Worcester, Worcester. And I was like, how do you spell it? Because they talk fast. And I'm like, Okay, W. He goes, oh, you mean Worcester? <laughs> I'm like, Worcester? How do you get Worcester? Uh, anyway, another story. These guys were Galileans. That means they were rough. They were tough. 
They were unrefined. They didn't, they were uneducated. They were, they were skilled. They were fishermen. They were those that had a trade, but they weren't elegant. They weren't eloquent in their speech. Why did Christ pick these guys? Why would Jesus pick a Peter of all people? Not theologically trained, no background, none of those things. There are plenty of religious people around that Christ could have chosen. And I would say to us that there are a couple things in this process that are very important to understand. First of all, he chose them. They didn't raise their hand and say, I want to go. I want to be part of it. I, I want to do it. The process in choosing leaders for Christ was that he went to them. He saw something in them. He said, look, let me see who these guys are, and I'm not going to pick who's raising their hand. I'm going to pick who is going to be able to do certain things as we're going to see today. I've been, I, I, I hear sometimes in conversations, I'm called to leadership. I'm more interested and I'm called to followership. How can you follow? Because if you follow, you tend to be a great leader. No one here said, Jesus, I'm a good leader. I, I, let, me be, let me take the lead. Let me be picked. No, he, they waited on him to come. Secondly, I would say that Jesus took this process of choosing leaders extremely seriously. Watch this, Luke chapter 6. One of those days, in verse 12, Luke 6, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Now, don't read over this lightly. And he spent the night praying to God. That's hard if you've never tried it. And what's really hard is the next day after he'd been praying all night. <laughs> this was before Starbucks, and there was no caffeine to be had in the end. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Of them. Now, I want you to follow this because we're going to come back. Whom he also designated apostles. Apostles were those who were going to carry it out. They were going to get it done. They weren't just disciples, those, which means literally those who are going to learn, the learners. Disciples means learn, I'm learning. But it says specifically whom he also designated, those who were going to get it done. Those who were going to go out and do miraculous things and be, uh, be that leading edge. And then there's a list of people that he called. There are 12 of them, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip. But I want you to see how seriously that Jesus took this. So you look, you look at this list and think, what was the criteria for which he chose these disciples? Because there has to be a criteria among us. I'll never forget when I was in high school. My mom loves to tell this story. I was looking for a summer job, and the county where we lived, they were offering tennis classes. And so I went to apply for the job of tennis instructor. And so my mom went along with me to the interview, and I went through the whole interview process. It seemed very, very positive. On the way home, my mom says, do you play tennis? I'm like, no, I don't play. 
I was just in for a job. I figured I could take, less, you know, get up to speed in a few days and then become a tennis instructor. But they never asked me, do you play tennis? I'm looking back on that. Wouldn't that be a reasonable question? Do you play tennis? Gee whiz. There's criteria that is essential. And today, I want you to see that Christ chose them, spent all night praying about this, because there was a a prime criteria that was found in these men. And particularly today, we're going to look at Peter, because he gets hit a lot for being that strong-willed, headstrong guy that outspoken and we're going to take a look at his life because of all the guys chosen except Judas obviously he was shady um, but of all the guys we'd say why Peter I mean didn't he cause you grief the whole way around we begin back in one chapter Luke chapter 5 and this is how Christ met Peter one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Christ was speaking to the crowds. He saw at the water edge, the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen. And he said, never grab the rope of a boat. No, I'm just kidding. I'll just do that. <laughs> they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore then he sat down and he continued to teach the people from the boat. Now, if you're Peter, you've got to put yourself in his sandals for a minute. This is a weathered fisherman being told by a carpenter to shove out the shore. Who in this room wouldn't say, and you are? Someone walks into your place of business and said, let, let me tell you what to do next. And you're like, can you tell me what your criteria is for saying that to me? When Jesus had finished speaking in verse 4, he said to Simon, Peter, put out into the deep and let your nets down, or let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't kept, caught anything. But because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. When Christ was praying all night, he needed equality in these men of something that went beyond education, training, theological, being theologically astute and deep. He needed something beyond just having the brawn and brine of, of being protected and having guys around him that had muscle. He, got, he needed something more than picking people that were socially connected so his movement could potentially grow. He needed something more than just a, a, a personality that everybody loved because Peter, I'm thinking, probably he made a lot of enemies. He needed something that was so critical to the mission, and this was it. I'll call it coachability. Are you willing to be coached? Are you open for, for input? 
Can you take a word and change like you would if you were taking piano lessons or you were in a sports team where the coach has the openness to say, no, 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 you almost got it, but we're going around to the left instead of the right. So you went to the right, and I know you love the right, but we're going to go to the left. That's coachability. What's the opposite of coachability? I like the right. I'm going right. I don't care what you say. I don't care who you are, but I am going right. That would have killed the entire thing when you're looking at the mission. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it was an important, above all the other things, important. It was important, first of all, because the plan mattered. If we're going to, you know, if it's fourth down, it's the Super Bowl, it's the last play of the game, you know, we're bottom of the ninth inning. Just kidding. I just wanted to see if you got me. You didn't think I knew, did you? I know that there's only seven innings in football. So, anyway. If it's fourth down, there's three seconds on the play. It matters if everybody is on the play. It matters what happens in that last huddle that we're calling a red dog 32. Because I don't really care in that moment if you like red dogs or the number 32. That's the plan, you see? There is that element of coachability that the plan matters. You see, because this plan that Christ had held in the balance the souls of the human race. It mattered if people in his core were going to get on board. This past Monday, I did something ridiculously out of my comfort zone. My friend Tom invited me to kayak. My version of kayak. Look at those trees. They're so beautiful. And the breeze across my face. No. His version of kayak. Come on, pick it up. I will slap you in the head with my paddle if you don't shut me. It's that kind of thing. So we meet. I said, okay, kayaking. I'll give it a shot. Never done it. What time are we meeting? 5.30 a.m. I'm out right there. <laughs> I'm thinking in my mind, 5.30 equal sign, dark, and that's not great. I'm like, how do you do that? Helmet lights. We have helmet lights. I want to show you where we, uh, where we kayaked. This is Sarasota Bay. We started in the right bottom corner, and we went across, and we went under. That's the Lido Beach Bridge, and way over to this, I don't know, where we were, it's dark. And then we came on back and <laughs> under the uh, St. Armand's Key Bridge, whatever it's called, and then all the way back. It took about, I don't know, two and a half hours. When we first started, you couldn't see a thing. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. It was hard. For me, it was hard. I was sitting in the front. And when you cross certain areas, you're crossing, if you don't know the water, what's called the channel. And as a little kayak out there in the dark with little lights, big boats can't see you. Therefore, I was like, you know, you want to make sure your light is, you know, a little neck pain after that. But. And, we, and so we actually saw a boat that was going at a pretty mighty clip with no lights on it. 
when he said, when he said to me, I could only hear his voice because I couldn't see him because it was dark. <laughs> and when he said to me, now pick it up, we're going through the channel. Do you think for any amount of time that I took it easy? I'm like, channel, all righty. I mean, I'm, I'm rowing my brains out. Because the plan mattered at that point. It was dangerous. For too long in the church, somehow we've lowered the bar to think it's about songs and sermons. We have the soul's of humanity and our hand, the plan matters. It matters. It matters what we do. It matters if we're on the same page. It, solidarity matters. Why? So we can all do Steve's plan? Fooey, stupid, silly. It matters so that we can be focused toward what's happening and the most important part, the big carrot and the souls and the depths of human beings. It matters to Jesus when he picked these men that they could say, okay, I get how important it is. And also, Jesus, it was so important because the plan had to go on. If the plan got all over the map, how's the plan going to go on? What is the plan? I don't know what the plan. There's like 18 versions of the plan. No, there's a plan. Now watch what we're going to do. If you're going to just put your thinking cap on here for a sec. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to just do some touch points through Peter's life. Many of these, many of them you already know, but it's good to see them and revisit them. These are moments that Jesus turned to Peter and said, I'm going to have to coach you, son, and we're going to have to make some change. And I chose you because you were open to being coached. I chose you when I spent all night with my father I ask for those that would think of the plan that the plan was so important because it held in weight and the scale and the balance the lives of men and women and children in the human race. It was that important that, that I wouldn't be fighting you all the time. And when I had the course correct, you'll say, okay, I'll get that. And Peter, of all people, needed it. And yet in his hardness and in his sandpaperedness, there was some quality in Peter that is absolutely beautiful. Watch. We're going to begin in, back in Luke chapter 4 and 5. And I want you to see something as we touch point on each of these things. At each of these things, I want you to imagine what would have happened if Peter said, I'm just standing right here. I'm not moving. I don't care what you say to me. This is my plan. I'm, I'm sticking. He would have been stuck in that moment. And watch how, watch how dramatic that's, that's being stuck in that place would have been. Watch this. Back to Luke chapter 5, verse, look at verse 4. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let, it, let down the nets for a catch. Simon said, Master, we worked all night and we haven't caught anything. But what if he had stopped right there? He said, we worked hard all night. Number one, number two, you're a carpenter. Number three, it's the morning. Number four, you don't even know me. You're, number five, you know nothing about boats. Number six, no, not doing it. Peter would have missed the greatest adventure of his life because right after that, after he said, okay, 
just because you say so, I'm going to push out. And he says, you know what? Now you're going to become fishers of men. Welcome to the adventure because you were, being, you were willing to be coached. Wow. Had he stopped right there, he would have missed it. I can't tell you. I, it's heartbreaking of how many people you say, gosh, if you just make this change, there's something incredible on the other side in the next chapter. Nope, I'm staying right here. Okay, man, I can't, you know, I wish there were knobs and human beings that I could reach in and just tweak it, but I can't. It's your choice. That's the way it goes. There was one time, we're going to move to Matthew 17, if you're following along in your own Bible, Matthew chapter 17. Jesus took three of his closest apostles, disciples, up to the mountain, to, the, to this mountaintop, and saw something that I, quite frankly, don't even know how to describe. This amazing glimpse of the glory of God, not even God, but just the aura and the glory of God. Don't, don't even know how to put words on it. Matthew chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. Jesus was transfigured on this top of this mountain before then. I don't, I, again, we read right over this. I don't even know how to comprehend his face shone like the sun. Wow. Just imagine, you're standing there, not like a flashlight, not like, like an LED, but like the sun. I, I, I happen to believe that. And his clothes became as white as the light. Just there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Okay, anybody in this room not freaked out in that moment? I mean, like, sun face, white clothes, Moses, Elijah. I mean, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. Peter says at this moment, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Forget everybody else. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, it must have been anything, everything in Christ to, to restrain himself to say, what? What are you saying? The plan is not here on a mountaintop. The plan is there. Look, Peter, you see the people, they matter. What if, what if Peter said, no, I'm staying here? That was mind-blowing. I'm just going to stay right here. He would have missed the rest of the journey. You see how he could have gotten stuck? Then at that moment in verse 5, then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from heaven from the cloud. If you weren't freaked out enough, from God himself, this is my son whom I love. Be coachable. Listen to him. Be coachable. Be open. Probably the most angular moment comes a chapter before that in Matthew 16. In verse 21, from that time on, from this moment, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He's going to hang on a cross. He suffered many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. And they he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took Christ aside and began to rebuke him and say, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now imagine if the story stopped right there and Christ didn't have the fortitude to say, What are you? In fact, he says these words, the hardest words that he has said to Peter the entire story, Matthew 16 23. Jesus said, Turn to and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have the things that concern in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
What if Christ would have been a wimp and just gave in? You know, this is going to be pretty tough there in Jerusalem, I'm telling you. Getting beat up on the cross. Yeah, Pete, kind of gelling with this idea. (laughs) None of us would be sitting in this room, by the way. None of us. The future for all of us would be beyond dismal. I'll use the word horrifying. Thank God Peter was coachable. They get to the end of Jesus' life. He's been praying. They're in the garden. Troops come to arrest arrest, uh, Jesus in John 18. They draw near as Jesus said they were going to in verse 11. Or verse 10, Simon Peter, who else, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Did he expect Jesus to say, good job, let's see if we can grab his left ear, you know? Can you imagine what could have happened in that moment had Christ not intervened? A sword fight. Right? I mean, just think about it. If Christ would, in the next verse, he, he says to Simon, he says to Peter, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I mean, you've got to play these real life scenarios out. We're talking with Jesus. We're hanging out. We just prayed. Here comes the troops. Peter's like got a sword, you know, and back. It's kind of the back uh, sheath and nobody sees. Wow. In any other given scenario, a fight would have broken out. Right? And soldiers and the whole thing would have been a brawl in the garden. What a story that would have been. You know, there had been a heading in your Bible, brawl in the garden. Wouldn't that be weird? And somebody, some soldier might have gone whack and just stabbed Christ right there. It wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan. But at that moment, Jesus said, put the sword away. You know what he did? He put the sword away. This strong-willed, headstrong, outspoken man named Peter. And yet he was willing to say, okay, all right, I get it. Again, I get it again. It's so interesting at the end of this story, after Christ has come back from the dead, he starts with Peter, like when he met him. Peter had given up. John 21, verse 3, he said to his other friends, because Christ was gone, I'm going out to fish. I'd add a word back in there. I'd add the word back. I'm going back to fish. I'm done. And they said, we'll go with you, because he was a leader. He was off plan. And when you get off plan, people will follow you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but they caught nothing that night. And I would say, literally. You see, when we say, I'm, I'm checked out of this, this Christian faith. I, I met with someone to, this week and so, you know, a relational thing happened. And, and I said, let me just say to you, don't let this picture the whole, your whole faith. How many times have we had a church train wreck? And you say, you know what, I'm done with Christianity. Gee, what, there's a bunch of 
jerks, bunch of hypocrites. Bunch, you know, there's, I know there are people sitting here that have felt that way, been burned. I've been burned. I've been toasted. I've been crisped. I've been, you know, whatever. Crisped? Did I say that? <laughs> and he was getting ready to give up, and he's going out, and he caught nothing. And I thought, what if he just stopped in that moment? The rest of his life, called to be fisher, a fisher of men, of souls. And now he's just out on a smelly boat. And then Jesus came along and said, won't you love me more than these? Just one more. Thanks for being patient because I wanted you to see all of these. Christ called the disciples to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world, to, to people all over the world. It's the first time in history where we're going to just so many places in, 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 in the world, to the Gentiles, which were non-Jews, first time in history. And, and God gave Peter a vision. This is in Acts chapter 10 and uh, in verse 11. And Peter saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It, contains all kind, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles, birds. These were, you didn't eat these as a Jewish man. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat these things because God was sending a picture. We're going to open it up to the whole world where it's okay to eat all this stuff. And he said, surely not. I have never eaten anything impure and unclean. And God is saying, I'm trying. And he said it to him three times. He says, I'm trying to open your mind to the rest of the world. You've got to open yourself. You've got to be coachable. And three times, and finally Peter says, okay. And the voice said to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And Peter obeyed. I'm telling you, after all that, of going through all those stories, I go back to the very first thing I said, and I believe that Christ, when he prayed all night, he knew he could see Peter and what a hard head he was, but he saw something in him that was incredibly critical to the mission, coachability. Because at each intersection, at each of those intersections, Peter could have folded his arms and said, no, no. And it would have shut the plan right down. In the church world, there is... The M word. And the M word is micromanage. It can happen anywhere. But it does happen in the church. And without any fear, I'm going to throw it right on the table. And I'm going to say it this way. I have worked with micromanagers. It's awful. But usually it's micromanaged all the wrong things. You got to put the staple here. You got to make sure, blah, blah, blah. It's just all these silly things that really, like, really? Do you have to tell me what color shirt I'm going to wear next Sunday? You know, I mean, all that stuff. Like, that's just silly. But setting that aside for a moment, I want to say to you that I believe that the church overall is undermanaged. It's undermanaged. And I'll tell you why. If you walk into... Um, a Starbucks. I'm just going to use them because they're popular and we've all been in one. There are certain colors, there's certain um, lighting, there's certain style. I mean, 
How many people like Starbucks? Let me just see. There you go. Come on. You're shy. Some of you are like, I don't know, should I? Should I like it? Should I like it? Yeah. <laughs> I love Starbucks. I get a, a tall decaf soy latte, only a half a shot of espresso, light on the ice. Everybody's got their favorite kind, right? And the reason I like that drink is because it's the same every time I walk in. If you go to McDonald's and uh, you get one Big Mac one week and it's got lettuce, extra sauce, pickles, blah, 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 whatever that is, and you go next week and it's got beets, onions, and a couple escargot <laughs> on your Big Mac, you're like, that's weird. And I'm not eating there anymore, right? It's because it's managed. Disney is managed. Starbucks managed. Christ managed his disciples because they had a job to get done. And just any way to do it wasn't, it would have accomplished nothing. But in the church, quite frankly, we're so afraid of, we have to be nice to everything and every idea that it's, it's hard to say, gosh, I just don't know if a giraffe riding ministry is good. But it's Alice, and because it's Alice, I'm going to go with it, you know? Now, I know that's silly, but the church goes in so many different directions because no one is willing to say, we've got a vision, and we've got to stick by it. No, I brought a prop today. I know that's surprising. Whoa. <laughs> How can a man hurt himself with a picture frame? If it could happen, I could do it. Yesterday, I made this built-in furniture. I think I bit my glasses there. Um, I built, how do you hit yourself in the face with a picture frame? And many people are whispering, he is a moron. I have this bad habit of bumping stuff, like my face. Um, yesterday, I built this cabinet for my mom. It's, not, it's only this big. I'm walking so carefully through the front door. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm moving like this. Sure enough, crunk, scrape. I'm like, really? What is wrong with me? Hi, I'm back. Did it. Last year, we worked on a vision frame, which is just the most incredible process I've ever been through. The reason for the frame is that on, let's see, right, left, on the right side, on your right side, it's our mandate, grow relationships small. We have a map on the bottom that's of the frame that says, look, we're not going to have a million programs. We're going to have big circle on the weekends. We're going to have mid-circle during the week in homes. We're going to have small circle, a person-to-person journey with another person. That's it. No, no classes, none of, no you know, softball league, none of that. It's going to be a very 
simple map. Their values of simplicity being one of them on the left side of the frame. And on the top of the frame, it's, it's three measures of how a person grows so that we can clearly say, this person is here. Awesome. Now we can high five because they've reached that level. Now we know where to go next. Now we go to the next. And when they get to the end, the goal is that they begin to take someone else through. It's an incredible process. When I say managing in a church, some might go, whoa, it's a little scary. It's not me managing. It's our vision. See, Christ, it's like the Constitution of the U.S. If we didn't have the Constitution of the U.S., it'd be all over the map. It's a frame by which we measure, careful, Steve, we measure everything. And then, hey, advance, just kidding. <laughs> Next time we'll have Nerf frames. <laughs> so when we have, hey, here's an idea for a ministry. We must, we must look at it through the frame. If we want to be unique. And if we want to accomplish the goal that God has. What's hard about this is coachability. When you look at these touch points of Peter, every time his ideas weren't all that bad. I fished all night. I'm a fisherman. I've done it for a long time. And I'm telling you, that's a bad idea. That's, that's not really off the radar of logic. Would, would, would you agree? I'm standing in a garden with mean-looking soldiers. I happen to have a sword. I think I'll use it. There's nothing nuts about that idea. I'm thinking I would do it. No, I would, at the end of it, there would probably be slash marks on my own face, but I still would have given it a good shot. When we come to making decisions in the church, if it's managed through a frame, we can't take every idea. And what's hard about it is that many ideas are really good. And what's really hard about it is that when, come, when people come, they really, really, really think it's really good. Right? I do. I think my ideas are good. But whoever's got an idea that's been shut, cut down or said, you know, let's rethink how that might look differently, I promise you, you can times it by 10 of my ideas. This is not solo management. It's vision management. <laughs> I thought it was looking pretty good. I was like, oh, you're out there. Hi. It's vision management. Does that make sense? And you know how hard it is to say, Gosh, that doesn't quite fit with where we're going. Or can we reimagine it? I'll use our food team as, a, as a, an example. Our food team had an idea. Thanksgiving, let's put a box out there. We'll drop food in the box and someone will take it to homes. Logical idea. Good idea. But we're saying, but you know what? We want to grow relationships small. 
And that really doesn't get us where we want to go. And it's not hard because that's one of our values to do hard things. It's not hard. How could we reimagine that where it would include relationship and not just dropping off a box of food? Well, how about we invite people to have dinner with us? How about we sit down at the table with others? How about we, and the outcome of saying, let's frame it, if you're coachable, incredibly different, incredibly different. To hear a story that someone actually came into my home with gifts and sat down and had a relationship. And from day one, a year ago, I have felt cared for because we're intentional about growing relationships small. Church, 360, it matters if we're coachable. It matters if we're on the same page. It matters. It matters. It matters. And it's very, very difficult. Peter was no doormat. And as we close today, I want you to imagine that at the end of his life, Peter is getting ready to write a letter. And he says, I remember he's talking to a friend. He's old in age. And he, said, he would say something like this. I remember when I met Jesus. I kind of wonder who the heck it was telling me to go out and fish. I heard him teaching. I knew he was a rabbi. I respected him. I mean, Really? But because he said so, I went ahead and did it. And it was amazing. We went out to the same spot and dropped our nets. It was more than we could. I knew at that moment that he had something worthy to say. I remember when we were on that mountaintop. Boy, was that a stupid idea. Three shelters. (laughs) Three shelters. I was so caught up in all oh, the worship and the glory to God, and I forgot all about the plan and the people. I certainly didn't feel like leaving that mountaintop, but when Christ said, Look, I heard that voice that said, Listen to him, it was a reminder of me, oh, yeah, I need to be coachable. So when Christ said, it's time to go down the mountain, okay, let's go down. And man, the first thing that happened when we came off that mountain was more miracles, more life change. Thank God I listened and didn't stay on that mountain. And I remember the most stupid thing I ever said to me, Peter, rebuking the king of the universe and saying that the plan shouldn't happen. And I remember those hard words that day. They are still ringing my mind after all these years. Get behind me, Satan. He was right. He was right. Because I didn't, at that moment, have the concern of God in mind. It was about me. I remember in the garden, drew that sword. That wasn't the right time. I remember when I went back to fish. 
But Christ, because he saw something in me and he knew that I mattered and that other people mattered, he asked me, would you love me more than these fish? I was so glad he did. I thought this whole thing was just for Jewish people. It had been since the beginning of Abraham. And when he called me to eat those reptiles, which I'd never done in my life, that was weird. But I did it because he said so. And so now I'm sitting at this table, and it's time to write a letter to those that I've impacted. And I begin to write by the title that Christ called me to, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, not a fisherman, not a bull-headed trade person, but an apostle, one that has been called to get the job done. Now I write to God's elect, exiles, Gentiles, non-Jewish people that I was so afraid of, scattered throughout the world, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, throughout the world. Look at what has happened through one man who was coachable, And that is the reason why Jesus chose me. That is the reason why he has chosen you. It is the reason why we will fight tooth and nail to work within this. We set our personal assets aside because the outcome of being on one page is absolutely incredible. God, thank you for a man like Peter Strong, not a doormat, at every intersection of his life he could have completely shut down, he could have been obstinate, He could have been stubborn, and yet he didn't. Because, God, it's so apparent to us that there was no other place in the world that he wanted to be other than right in the pocket with you. God, we do not want to be just any organization of the Christian faith. We don't. There are some in this room that are still trying to figure out what Christianity is all about, and they're just, and God, I pray that you'll, you'll bless them, and, and, by, and bless them, God, I mean that you'll open their heart, their mind, their eyes to Christ, the Savior of the world. But for your church, God, there's so many times where We have our own way, our own ideas. God, we need to be unified. 
coachable, open, so that we might impact the world. So as a church, God, we would say to you, and even about to sing to you, there's no other place, God, that we'd rather be right here in your love, but right here in your plan. Help us, God. Help us, God, to lay ourselves down and be pleasing as a church to you. In Jesus' name.